verses fit better with what we're going to be thinking about next week. So that's why we're going to be jumping around. Uh, we'll read it together in just a moment or two, but um, are we good to go? Yeah, we are. Um, but let's just take a moment to get the big picture and remind ourselves of uh, what it is we're, we've been looking at these last few weeks. Peter is writing to a group of churches across a wide area that in his time were known as Asia Minor, but we would know it today as Turkey. And he's giving instructions on um, holy living for those that are suffering persecution. And Peter's message is to stand firm in faith in the midst of this persecution. And he makes it clear that as we stand firm in our suffering, we are following the example of Jesus who suffered on our behalf. And that by our own suffering, we are... um, We are identifying ourselves with and aligning ourselves to Jesus in that way. And the letter includes a number of exhortations or instructions that we're to follow. And this overall message of Peter is summarized in these two um, verses that we've we've seen before in earlier chapters. And it's just a brief summary of what what Peter's letter, first letter, is all about. So in chapter 2 we read this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just take a moment and get your head around that message. I'm going to read it again and just hear these (laughs) words from the Lord to you here, right now, today. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And I'm just pausing for you to be overwhelmed by that message. In the context of that, A little bit later in the letter, Peter says this, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the other part of Peter's letter. That's the other big message. That's the theme that runs throughout. It's interesting that Peter was writing this letter to these churches in Asia Minor in what might have been described then as a pre-Christian society. We're reading them today in what many would call a post-Christian society. And the similarities between those two are remarkable and not a little scary. But what that means is that this letter has significant relevance for us and its um, purpose is is clear and of benefit for us. I'm not sure how you found it, but I have to confess I found going through 1 Peter quite difficult. It's It's quite a challenging read. And Kenny reminded us last week, you know, when we come to the Lord, when we come to the Lord for salvation... We don't necessarily sign up for the persecution and suffering that inevitably will come our way. It's not necessarily what we want, but it is part of the package. 
And it's really important that we understand the fullness of that package. And again, Kenny reminded us last week of the words of Paul, who was in the midst of his own suffering and said these words from, uh, in his letter to the Romans. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's another profound statement that reassures us and just puts us in a firm and secure place, despite whatever battles and rages are going on around us. So we're going to look then at uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, and and then we're going to look at chapter 5 and the first five verses there. And these verses are to do with the conduct of the church um, in the context that Peter's talking about. So if you'd like to grab uh, a Bible, the church Bible's in front of you. Um, You'll find one, Peter, on page, or in chapter 4, on page 1,220. We're going to start reading at verse 7, but before we do that, let's come to the Lord in prayer and open ourselves to his leading and guiding this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to change, to correct, and to bring us closer to you through our lives. Lord, we thank you that we have our salvation in you. And our heart's desire is to draw closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider your word, you will lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear you. Open our minds to understand you and our hearts to receive you. We ask it in your name and for your glory. Let's read. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. And then we jump down to chapter 5. To the elders amongst you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God uh, wants you to, to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. 
that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Amen. So, let's think about... Let's think about uh, those verses in chapter 4, first of all, and then we'll move on. So, Peter just opens this with, <laughs> with a gentle little throwaway line. You know, nothing to worry about here. The end of all things is near. I wonder if, um, if you knew that the world was going to end in the next 24 hours. I wonder what, how you would spend your last day and with whom. I wonder, would it be a day of hopeful expectation or of hopeless despondency or somewhere in between? A little tip from me, were that to be the case, you don't need to bother with the ironing. So the end of all things being near is the context into which these next verses come. It sets the scene for the uh, behaviours that we are to have in the light of these things. The end of all things will happen on a day when Jesus returns and when we can take up our inheritance. And we read earlier in the same letter in 1 Peter, these verses from chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Get this bit and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. There can be a tendency for Christians to focus on what are known as the end times, sometimes to the point where it becomes a preoccupation and people can become very worked up about it. I think it's fair to say that pretty much every generation since Jesus' day believed that they were living in the last days and that Jesus would return in their lifetime. We are living in the end times in that we are looking forward to Jesus coming back. So these are the end times. But rather than being preoccupied about the actual date, as some can be, and about the chain of events and the circumstances and all the rest of it, they have their place and they're important. But rather than being preoccupied about that, on a daily basis, our lived experience needs to be much more preoccupied with how we are um, spending our time, how we are living our lives, and the impact of being in these end times, the impact that that should have on our daily lives, on our attitudes, on our actions, on our relationships on our conduct. And that's what Peter goes on to express and to explore. And he gives us, in the next few verses, some um, very direct instructions that we should be uh, thinking about. But just to help us to understand that, um, a guy called Juan Sanchez has written a commentary on 1 Peter, and he says this, living with the end in view is not a call to radical Christianity, but to normal Christianity. We don't have to suddenly change and step things up a gear because we're worried about the end being nigh, as the sandwich board carriers would have us believe. 
Rather, we need to look at ourselves and say, okay, given that these are the end times, however long they may be, given that, how is my conduct going to be affected? So we'll look at that in the next few verses. Now, we've done a fair amount of work on on our table groups today, and I'm going to continue that. So, Andy, you've set us up beautifully, so thank you very much indeed. So we're going to look at these next verses, and I'm going to come round and... Sorry, it's a little bit tease-like, but hey, guess what? Um, I'm going to come round with a sheet here, and there's boxes on here, and I'm going to direct your, your table to just one of these four boxes, and these four boxes relate to one of the verses that follow. So I'll just direct you to one box. So if you could just talk through... There's a couple of discussion questions, and we'll just have a few minutes for you to chew over what these instructions from Peter look like, and then we'll just get some one or two ideas as we go through. So I'm just going to whip round with these. It may well be that we might just want to bunch up a little bit. So guys and ladies there, do you want to just get together? Thanks, Andy.
Just about one more minute to go, and if you'd just like to wrap up your ideas, I'm going to ask for one idea per table, okay? Just be ready with one idea per table. Yeah, no, no one than peers. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Inevitably, you've just been looking at one of the, uh, the four main ideas there, and um, so your homework is to take this away and do the others and uh, submit it by Friday at 12. Um, let's, just, let's just gather a few ideas, if we can, very briefly. So I'm just going to limit you to one idea... Uh, just one summary sentence per table, if that's okay. But I'm going to jump around so that we get the, the ideas together. So if we go to verse 7, where, where Peter's instruction, instruction is that we should be alert and pray. So, this table here, who's volunteering? Good old you. <laughs> Brilliant. No, that's great. Thank you. I, I, I really like the fact that you've linked the ideas together. It's, it, we're not being alert and sober, full stop, and then pray. It's so that we can. That's really helpful. Can I jump to this table with the same idea? Who's, uh... Uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, if you just put some more carrots, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's Mashing here. Thank you very much. Be alert. The church needs alert. Good. Okay, so let's jump to verse 8 then. So this is, this is Peter's instruction that we should love one another deeply and underline the word deeply. So come up, I think this table there, you were doing that. Who's going to just give us a summary sentence? <laughs> Flavor is fine, not, not great to detail. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think part of
Totally. Yeah, that's getting that's getting vigorous nods, so we'll go with that. Grant, thank you very much. That's really helpful. This table, I think you were also looking at the same verse. Great. Good work, that team. Thank you very much. That's, that's, uh, I mean, as you're quite right to say these are massive topics, aren't they? How do you love somebody deeply? And we're just scratching the surface, but if it just stimulates that thinking, that's great. Um, verse 9, then, Peter's calling on us to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, <laughs> start over here. What... Um, Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Anything to add there? Great. Very succinct. Really spot on, John. That's, I'm feeling challenged there. That's, that's excellent. Thank you very much. That's a great addition to the, to the discussion. The final section that we were looking at are, it's actually two verses about using gifts. And I know um, Kenny and Um, I, I, 
<laughs> God will bless you in your gifting. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. That's really helpful. Inevitably, we've, we've covered a fair amount of ground and we've gone for breadth rather than depth, perhaps. But there is depth to be mined there. So just to encourage you to take those things away and consider that a little bit further, um, either on your own or perhaps in GC later in the week. Let's move on then, and we're going to just move to um, chapter 5, and it feels like this is taking a very different direction, but actually it's still connected with um, behaviours and conduct in, in, the, in a church setting. So we'll, we'll just move on uh, to looking at that. And you'll notice if you just cast your eye uh, to chapter 5 and the opening there, um, Peter is, is apparently addressing, well, he is addressing the elders or church leaders or in that time, elder really is derived from older, and because the church leaders tended to be the older people, uh, the older men, but, but that doesn't necessarily carry through into our culture, and on our understanding of elder is very slightly different, and we might just use the phrase church leader instead. But notice that Peter starts this, uh, this chapter, not that he wrote the chapter, but he starts this section by saying, to the elders amongst you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock. So the charge there for church leaders is, and it's using a metaphor that is used frequently throughout the, the whole Bible, but particularly uh, Jesus uses this idea of a shepherd looking after sheep. And that, that becomes a very strong theme. Before we go into that, let's just pause for a moment to think about where Peter is and where he's coming from here, because it's quite revealing. Peter has got amazing credentials to be writing this letter, and I've just listed some of the key points on the screen there. He was, as we know, one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was one of the inner circle, and will have known Jesus particularly well. He witnessed Jesus' transfiguration, that glimpse into Jesus' glory that nobody else has seen. It's only described, but Peter was one of a very small number who saw a glimpse into the glory of Jesus. Jesus also witnessed, sorry, Peter also witnessed Jesus' death. Imagine that, your best mate that you've spent endless hours with, being publicly humiliated and put to death, but then brought back to life. A bit mind-blowing. You'll remember that after his resurrection, Jesus and Peter have an individual conversation, just the two of them. And Jesus commissions Peter and says my sheep, in a very moving and a very intimate exchange. Peter, we know, became or was something of a spokesman for the apostles. He'd often take the lead and, and direct operations. He preached at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrived, and he kind of took charge in that situation. And it's fair to say that Peter was a key person in the establishing of the Christian church that we are part of today. Despite this awesome CV, Peter is not lording it over his readers and demanding 
but he's identifying himself as a fellow elder. And in, him, in itself, he's saying, ultimately what he's saying is, follow my example, and he's not puffing himself up, but he, he is demonstrating that humility. He could be using any one of these points to say, these are the reasons why you should do what I tell you. But he's, he's appealing to them as a fellow elder. And that's a really important message that we need to sort of understand as he talks to these elders. But I've already used the phrase church leaders because we can, we can extend this just a little bit. Now, we have church elders here. We have Dan, who's our pastor, pastor from pastoral, as in looking after sheep. Dan is our pastor, but we also have Andy and we have Kenny, who are our elders. They are our leaders And we're grateful to them, and we're grateful for them. But many of us will also have leadership responsibilities at one time or another. They might be long-term or short-term. They might be permanent. They might be temporary. They might be moments long or weeks long. Think, for example, of GC leaders, fresh and children's workers, welcome teams, activity leaders, cafe workers and volunteers, people put, that put the chairs out. We have, at various times and in various ways, a sense of responsibility. And that responsibility is to one another as well as it is to the Lord. Even if nothing else, we are having a conversation one-on-one with somebody. We have that sense of responsibility. And so we might use that term that we are the leader for that time, for that moment. What Peter has to say to the elders is applicable to all of us at the time when it can be applied. And it's really important that we think about it in that way. So we can't switch off for these verses thinking, well, that just applies to a few people. Actually, there's a message there for all of us. And what Peter does in the next Uh, three verses, is just give the characteristics of what a leader should look like in a Christian church context. You'd be forgiven for thinking that actually these characteristics could usefully be applied elsewhere beyond the Christian church. But let's have a brief look at them. There are five points that we can pull out here. These are the characteristics of a good leader in church. Firstly, they will know that they are caring for God's flock, not their own. They are not building up their own team to make them look good or to drive in a particular direction. They are the shepherd of God's flock. Secondly, they are leading out of an eagerness to serve. Note that phrase, eagerness to serve not out of a sense of obligation. I'm doing this because I've got to. And you'll know that a sense of obligation means that the service, however good it may be, is done with an air of resentment. And that's not a healthy place. Thirdly, a good leader is characterised by their concern for what they can give and not what they can get. When... Serving as an elder, when serving as a church leader becomes a money-making enterprise, there's something not quite right. 
Fourthly, the good leader will be characterised by leading by example and not by force. There is an adage in leadership that says, do what I do, not what, do what I say, not what I do. Uh, 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 uh. You've missed the point. If you can't demonstrate it for yourself, then how can you seriously expect others to follow? But that, even if it's not an explicitly used phrase, that is an attitude that can be the momentum behind some leadership. And finally, Peter tells us that the, the, the good leader is characterised by being accountable to, and he uses the phrase, the chief shepherd. And we know that the chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. It's a great idea, isn't it? Chief shepherd with some sub-shepherds and then the flock. It's a great idea. So at t- from time to time, we will all become sub-shepherds that are looking after sheep. It might be one sheep. It might be a whole flock. It really doesn't matter, as I've said, whether our role is permanent or temporary, whether it's great or small, whether it's long-term or short-term. We have a part to play. And going back to Sanchez and his commentary on 1 Peter, he says this on the screen there. No Christian cannot contribute to the body of Christ or is not needed by the body of Christ. In other words, every member of the church has a part to play and a responsibility to one another. And at that time, we we must assume that sense of leadership and follow those characteristics that Peter has called, called us to follow. Now, Peter moves on to verse 5 and so it talks about the fact that, you know, what makes a leader uh, will be followers. Somebody who takes responsibility for the actions of others. And Peter is saying, you know, in the same way, you who are younger, and the younger is, referen- is, is in contrast to the elders. So we need to read it slightly differently. So there are the leaders and then there are the followers. There are the shepherds and then the sheep. So we need to read it in that way. So it's us, the sheep, that are being addressed now. In the same way, you who are younger, you who are the followers, submit yourself to your elders, to your leaders. All of you, all of you, irrespective, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. And Andy led us in a really helpful exploration of what humility might look like. Interesting that we're very quick to be able to fill out the proud qualifications, but it took us a little moment to think about the humble. Um, I wonder if there's a message in there for us. But we're all being called to be, uh, to, to be subject to our leaders with humility. If we are not willing to be humble, then from the leader's perspective, it's like trying to herd cats. Because everybody then goes off in their own direction. Cats have got a reputation for for being fiercely independent and unwilling to be directed. And I guess there's a challenge there for each of us. How much like a cat am I versus how much like a sheep am I? I'll pursue that theme in just a moment. How much am I independent in my thinking? Not that that's a bad thing per se, but in this context. 
and how much am I willing to be directed? Rather like, you know, am I creating that um, circumstance for our leaders where they are attempting to herd cats? It's not a helpful place to be. It's particularly true in the context. Remember our verses today started with the fact that we're in these end times. And we are in these end times. We continue to be in these end times. And if we are making this herding cats thing a reality and we're all going off in our own different directions and we're trying to pursue our own thinking, then we're putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position. The notion then of a shepherd and sheep becomes much more significant and much more important. When Jesus was talking about shepherds leading sheep, shepherds shepherding sheep, it was in a very particular context, and it's not a context that we are particularly familiar with in this country. If you think today about a shepherd shepherding sheep, They tend to do it with a dog and with a clever system of whistles. And rather than leading the sheep, they drive the sheep. There are competitions to see how effective and efficient a shepherd is with their sheepdog at rounding sheep up and driving them the way they want to go. From the sheep's perspective, the leader is behind and they don't necessarily see where their leader is and what their leader is doing. And the leader who is behind the sheep might have a wide view that the sheep don't have. Got the idea of that? Think about that in, uh, for a second. In Jesus' day, and this is still the case in um, many countries, the shepherd genuinely leads the sheep. So they will stride out and the sheep who know the shepherd will follow. I, I've seen this happen on a holiday in Greece. Some, I've told some of you before. Just sitting and... Um, we're in Taverna, but I wasn't going to say that. We're <laughs> having, having a drink. But we're just looking out over a big valley floor and we could hear what sounded like cowbells in the distance, but they're actually sheep bells. And then a man just strode purposefully across this plain in the most beautiful setting. And behind him, and not one sheep went in front, they all followed behind. And he was leading them into this really fertile pasture. And it was a really simple but moving thing to see. And the shepherd just stood and the sheep knew, this is the place we've come to. And then they spread out and started feeding on this lush, grass but in this instance and this is the very much the picture that jesus has when he's talking about the good shepherd leading this is what he's thinking of and we don't necessarily see it in this country but that's the way it is so the leader is in front leading the way knows where we're going and the sheep they follow there are times though when the shepherd needs to get in amongst the sheep so the leader is in a place where the, he is able to surround his the, the sheep are surrounding him and he has an overview of all of them and will need to turn 360 to be able to see what the sheep are up to and deal with. So we're required to be the sheep. Sheep have a reputation for not being very bright. However, 
They are intelligent enough to know that they need one another. Sheep will be herded. They are not willing to go out on their own. They want the security of everybody. And if you get a lone sheep, it will quickly find its way back to the herd. And that's really important. That's not to say that sheep won't go straying off on their own when they think they can get away with it. And Isaiah reminds us that we too are like sheep and we've gone astray each to our own way, which just adds to the impact of the shepherd calling us back and looking after us. So for us as sheep in a church context, there will be times when our leaders are out in front and we are following, and we might not know where they're, go- where they're leading us, but our responsibility is to follow. There might be times when the, our shepherds are behind us and we can't see what they can see and they are driving us forward. They have an overview that we don't have. And there are other times when they're in amongst us and we do well to stay with the herd and to stay close to them and to follow their guidance and instruction. So here's the call. We're called, Peter is calling us, to walk humbly, honouring God and those that he's placed in positions of leadership over us, as well as to one another. Peter is calling us to pray for those in leadership, And for us, that means we should be praying regularly and frequently for Dan and for Kenny and for Andy. As leaders ourselves, from time to time, in different circumstances, and no matter what level or position we take, we should be praying for those sheep that are under our care at that time. And in these last days, we should be praying that we all walk confidently and hopefully towards the end of all things and towards the inheritance that is ours and is waiting for us. That inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd. And our desire is to follow you. And as your word reminds us, we frequently, like sheep, wander off in our own direction, believing we know better. But Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, in your love and in your compassion, you bring us safely back into your fold. Thank you that you are our example. And today we pray particularly for our leaders. We pray for Dan and for Kenny and for Andy. We thank you for them. We thank you for all that they do, the things that we see them do, but the things that we don't see them do in leading us and guiding us, in caring for us, in pastoring us. Lord, we pray that you will give them great wisdom 
that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and that they will seek your will in all that they do for us. And Lord, we commit ourselves to being the flock in your pasture because you are to be trusted, you are worthy, and you are faithful. We praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.